Gather round, children. This is the Dice Tower Network. You're tuned in to the Broken Meeple Podcast, episode 25, Weights. Welcome to the Broken Meeple Podcast, a show devoted to board and card games designed by some bloke who just likes to talk about them. On today's show, I go on about some games that I played at the recent StabCon convention in Southampton last Easter weekend, and also reflect on a discussion that has been taking place lately among the board gaming community, and that is one of how you distinguish light, medium, and heavyweight games. Hello everyone, welcome and thanks for tuning in. You'll have noticed a slight format change with the start and maybe some of the musical intros on this podcast. Well, it was time for an update, and considering this was episode 25, now seemed like a good time to do it. Last week I apologised for the slight audio quality issues that I had. I tried to put the microphone next to my PC and talk whilst I was sat down. Unfortunately, this created a problem because my silent PC is not quite silent yet. Unfortunately, there's a bit of a rattle inside it. I need to deduce why it's doing that. And also the the whole hum of the PC was still being picked up. I mean, let's face it, this is a pretty powerful microphone. And if it's going to pick up my voice, it's going to pick up background noise as well. And the second you apply noise removal to anything, your voice sounds like some droned out robot. And I hate it when it sounds like that. So what I've had to do is go back to the old way, which was having it stood up in front of me where I stand in front of the microphone and just talk. So it's in my gaming room and I just stand up and talk. Well, that does help my uh, breathing a little bit because when you stood up, you can, you know, you can speak from the diaphragm a lot more, shall we say, than when you're sat down in a chair because you're compressing your lungs and your stomach and whatever. I don't know. I'm no biology expert. But... It just also allows me to change up the music a little bit. You know, the intro music was fine and all, but I wanted something a bit different. I wanted to distinguish the segments that I do on the podcast a lot more. And considering I had that recent spout with the PC mucking up most of my asset files, it just felt like I was going back to a broken lineup with, you know, (laughs) no pun intended. But it just felt like I was picking up the pieces rather than just starting afresh. So episode 25 just seemed like a good time to revamp a few of those things. Now, that doesn't mean that this is season three. No, I mean, this is still season two. You know, not like anyone really cared about the season numbers or episode numbers, really. You just want to hear me talk. So fair enough. Let's get on with it. You You can tell what's different. You can hear what's different. You know, we'll just get on with it. So in terms of how the podcast and the blog is going generally, well, as you can see, the board game approved videos are starting to appear on YouTube now. This is where I basically sit at my PC with my headset on and talk directly into the microphone as I play through apps on my computer, be it Android, mostly Steam and occasionally iOS, but it's harder to mirror my iOS to my PC, so it's usually going to be Steam or Android. This allows me to just try something a bit different, you know, play through board game apps, which I like, and just go through like a playthrough video. You watch how it's played, you listen to the music and sound effects, and you just see me do well or horrible, depending on the game, when I'm actually playing it. I've already done Carcassonne, and I've done Patchwork recently. Next in the lineup is Terra Mystica, and I hope to try out other videos, including some exclusives, like, say, Through the Ages, and also the beta of Among the Stars, which I've managed to get a code for as well. So what I would like you to do is check those videos out, of course, 
but also just give me some feedback on whether you like the videos or not. I mean, do you want to change something in the format? Do you want me to change the audio quality in a sense? Do you want me to just change something about the video or are you happy with them? Do you want me to continue with them? You know, I enjoy doing them. You know, it requires a little bit of work, but I do enjoy those videos. So I'll probably keep doing it for a little while and see if anything ticks, but I want to hear your constructive feedback on the topic as well. Other than that, the rest of the blog is still going fine. You know, some written reviews and some video reviews. Although I should be going a little bit more heavier on the top 10 list soon because I've just recently finished my retrospective 2013 list now. So that's the whole retrospective saga concluded, at least until um, the end of this year, maybe start of next year when I do 2017 retrospective. But the idea is, is that now I can go on to different top 10 lists. And I want to hear some feedback from you guys on that as well. What top 10 lists would you like me to do? If you can, please avoid doing top 10 X designer, X publisher, X mechanic, or X uh, genre. Yeah, because those a load of people have done, you see the same games on them and they just uh, they just don't seem very varied, they're not as enjoyable to do. But the next one you'll see in the lineup is top 10 games with multi-use cards. Yes, you can argue that is kind of top 10 X mechanic, but it's a mechanic that I adore. So this one was one that I enjoyed talking about, but I don't want to make it a habit. So I'm getting some ideas off people and seeing how, you know, which one sticks. And I've had some good ideas from people on YouTube. So if you're one of those people, thank you very much for setting me your examples. I've had anything from top 10 unique or ridiculous components, uh, top 10 games I love but everyone else hates, you know, top 10, uh, what else we had? top 10 games I like to teach, top 10 games I don't like to teach, you know, there's some interesting ideas here and I'm going to run with them and see which ones I can come up with some good lists for because, well, top 10 lists, I love doing them and hopefully you like listening to them as well. But, um, right, that's pretty much it from a blog perspective, you know, just all systems go. Now that I'm back in the game, you know, the my job is starting to uh, mellow out a bit now as our audit concludes, Easter is over, I literally, as I'm recording this podcast, turn 34 years old tomorrow, on um, the 4th of April, and, you know, I'm just getting old. <laughs> I don't tend to celebrate my birthday to a great deal, to be honest. I mean, you know, my girlfriend's going to treat me to a meal out. I've already done some celebrations uh, back in March. At the, when you get to this age, you kind of just accept that you're getting old, and that's kind of the way it goes, really. So, you know, but, oh well, we'll see. Maybe tomorrow I will do something different. Maybe go to the cinema or something. I really want to watch Ready Player One and see what that's like. But let's face it, if you're a geek like me, you just can't wait for Avengers Infinity War. I am so waiting for that. I cannot wait for April the 27th. I think that's when it comes out in the UK. I've got to make sure I get my tickets. I've got to go there. I don't care if I go by myself. I am going to go watch that movie. I cannot wait. Please don't disappoint me. Anyway, back to board games. So let's kick start off with StabCon. Yeah, StabCon is a convention that is held further up north. This is kind of StabCon South, as you could call it. It's a mini convention that takes place in Southampton, and it's uh, basically just a gathering of friends. It's the kind where you just rent out a space, this being the first floor of the jury in Southampton, which it won't be there forever. It's going to change venue soon, but we'll get more details on that eventually. And essentially, you just turn up and play games. Pretty much it. Occasionally, you get a retailer there. Occasionally you get some other exhibitor there, or maybe a board game cafe shows up with their library. But apart from that, that's pretty much it. You know, it is as simple as that. But it's a good place to go just to meet some of my Southampton gaming friends, a few others that travel from a little bit further. 
meet new people, play different games, and just generally have a good time. Well, this was no exception. This took place over Easter weekend, and I had a good time as well. You know, there was fun to be had by all. I didn't really play any bad games per se. There was one game that kind of was a little bit marred just by the people I was playing with, but you know, that was a minor thing. You know, the game was done and dusted, but certainly for the most part, had great fun, was able to teach some big games that I'd been wanting to teach to people for ages and finally get them to the table. So I'm just going to talk about a couple of games that I played that were new as opposed to ones that you've already heard me review. So, you know, sometimes these conventions are good to get games that you've never played before. Well, in this case, I was able to get one or two games played that I'd never tried before. And so I'm going to talk about those now. First up, probably the highlight, Magic Maze. Some of you might know this as a family weight uh, Spilge Yaris nominee, I believe. I don't think it won, but it was a nominee from last year. And it's essentially a real-time fun family weight game. can take anywhere from one to eight players, but certainly plays a lot better with four, I think. And the idea is, is that you have these uh, colored pawns on a tile map, and you're in a shopping mall basically stealing something from your particular store. I think you're stealing anyway. I mean, it seems to fit that theme. And the idea is, is that you have a card in front of you that dictates a direction and possibly another form of special movement. And the idea is, is that you're only allowed to move pawns in that fashion. You're against the clock, it's real time, so you have to essentially guide the pawns through this mall, explore new tiles, find the stores that you're looking for, and then eventually go to those stores and then get at the exit. A couple of snacks. Firstly, as I said, you can only move the pawns in a certain direction. If your thing says up, you can only move them up. No other way. Not down, left, right, you have to rely on other players to do that. So there's certainly a teamwork is a co-op game. However, here's the other snack. You can't talk. Nope, you can't talk. You have to basically do it in si you have to do it in silence. Well, silent amidst the uh, mass laughing, shall we say, and the giggling and sniggering. But the idea is, is that you have nothing more than a red pawn, a giant red pawn in front of you that you can put in front of a player in order to essentially, shall we say, get them to do something. You're kind of prodding them on, saying, "You, you need to do something. Do it. Hurry before I I can't do my thing until you do your thing." But again, you can't talk. So basically, the fun and laughter in this game is having everybody just frantically grab pieces when you're sort of least expecting it, and then everyone is grabbing this single, bear in mind there's only one of them, this single red pawn, which I like to call the red pawn of judgment, and just stamping it in front of you, because you can do what you like with it, I mean, you, can, you just put it in front of a player, that's fine. But if you really want to emphasize that this guy is not paying attention, then you will just bash it and you will stamp the table with it and you'll just be constantly as you're trying to get him to do it. And you can't talk. So all you're doing is secretly in your head cursing the other guy going, you moron, you need to do something right now. Otherwise, I can't do anything. And sometimes that person might be completely oblivious to what it is you need. It is a good fun, you know, laugh out loud style game. And I've been wanting to get this played for a while, but I wasn't sure if I'd enjoy it. And I was glad to say I did. It only takes about 10 minutes per game. It's very quick. You know, you can flip the sand timer at various spots and you've got different things to move like escalator movement and portal movement, etc. And the base game is fairly simplistic and not too difficult to beat but you can throw in some extra little variants to make it harder. And the expansion that he had, maximum security, throws in things like guards and motion sensors and locked rooms just to make it even more interesting. 
Certainly I would say that you're going to need that expansion in order to keep Magic Maze fresh, but I really enjoyed the time with this one. It was 30 minutes out of my life to play three games of what seemed to be a pretty solid family weight game. Now, I don't know how young kids are going to manage with it as such, because real time and little kids, you'll probably find that they're not really paying attention or they can't quite react fast enough, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm not a kid expert, so you might be able to prove me wrong on that. But I found that certainly with adults who just want something light, something that's a nice quick filler, this is a good way to do it. It's just, you hear people giggling like crazy. It's stressful, but in a good way. It's just 10 minutes of stress. It's a neat concept. And so, definitely one that I recommend. Another new game I got to play was Kodama the Tree Spirits. This is another little filler game that, again, I'd been wanting to play for a while but never got a chance to. This is the type of game that I look forward to trying more, these small card games, the fillers. It's alright saying, oh, I want to play, uh, for example, what was it, the convention that was quite uh, impressive looking? Oh, Lords of Hellas. Looked gorgeous, it was a Kickstarter copy, it looked amazing. And friends of mine were also playing something called Forge War that I'd barely heard of. Looked nice on the table, but went on for stupidly long. You know, these aren't the games that I look forward to playing as much, these big, epic, grandiose games, because they take a while, and a lot of the times they just don't quite meet the mark for giving me enough enjoyment to justify their time and their cost. You know, there's a lot of times where something just costs way too much for what enjoyment you get out of it. The thing I like about small filler card games, though, is that a lot of the time you do get what you paid for. And granted, that might just be a you know, above average game, but you only paid 10, 15 pounds for it. I've got games on my shelf. I mean, if I just turn around now and have a look, hmm, do, 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 do. Yeah, Hannah Makoji, Valley of the Kings, uh, even the original Love Letter, uh, Cockroach Poker, Liar's Dice, Seven Wonders Duel, Sushi Go. There's a lot of small games. Jaipur, there's another one. Yeah, there's a lot of small games that are just really good games and they don't cost the ends of the earth to get or play and don't take forever. So Kadama was one I was interested in. You are basically tree spirits. You're growing this big tree in front of you and it consists of cards. So you are drafting cards from a set of four each time and you're just trying to get points by having contiguous lines of features. The features on the tree might be things like caterpillars and clouds and mushrooms and flowers and stuff like that. And you have a particular feature to your own trunk but it's mainly just there to differentiate the players. The idea is, is that you're drafting the cards and putting them on your tree in such a way that you can set up these contiguous lines of features in order to score lots of points. You've also got some secret objectives you can aim for for more points. And the, the catch is, is that your cards must be arranged on your tree so that the branches connect. It all looks like a smorgasbord of cards at the end of the day when you've got it finished. But you can't touch more than one card with another card. So suddenly the space you have to formulate this tree gets a bit small and claustrophobic at times. And it's just quite interesting to see your tree build up. It looks different from other players. You've got to be careful not to jostle the table. I mean, do not play this outside and do not play this on an unstable surface because you will be constantly worried about jostling the cards and making your tree look weird. It's very simple though. It says 10 minutes per player on the box and that's pretty accurate. We got a free player game done in about half an hour or less. And this was with me learning the game from scratch at a very late time. And you know, this was like 11 o'clock at night after we played several heavy games. So yeah, it was a good little filler. Not exactly mind-blowing. I mean, it's one I would go back to every now and again. It's not one that I would buy personally. I just think it was a, you know, a decent average, maybe above average uh, little filler game. You know, I had fun with it. 
There is a bit of a luck of the draw in it because the objectives you get might just synergize really well. The cards that come out in the draft might be just exactly what you need. But it's a 10 minute per player card game. So what do you expect? It's not going to take that long and it does what it says on the tin. Looks cute, is easy to play, easy to learn and doesn't take much time. So what more do you want? You know, I, I would say though that it goes up to five players. I think that's a bit much. Four to five players sounds like it would just go past that line where you think, yeah, you know what? This is a very simplistic filler card game. It doesn't need to go on for nearly an hour. But with two to three players, I can see this being quite a good laugh. It certainly worked for us for three players. I think that was a pretty good, uh, maybe three or four, four players max. But I think three was a good sweet spot for this game. And yeah, I was glad to try it. Kadama the Tree Spirits, not the most mind-blowing filler I've ever played, but a nice one nonetheless. So that was just a little bit about StabCon, you know, it was a decent convention and I'll be there next time. I don't know what we'll call that segment really, I mean it was essentially a discussion talk, maybe we'll just call it convention talk or something, because I tend to end up at a convention at least once every month, so if I get this podcast out more regularly like I plan to, it's a segment that will come up fairly frequently. You know, what have we already had? SawCon, HandyCon, AirCon, StabCon... This month I've now got Uncon to go for, then in the start of June we have the UK Games Expo. Summer usually takes a bit of a break, but there'll be the occasional weekend event, like charity event I could talk about. And then we've got the Geekerson Camp in September, there's another HandyCon in August, there's Essen in October. So there's plenty on the horizon, so maybe we'll make that the convention segment. Anyway, now to get on to the, 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 the crux of this episode. This is the discussion topic that comes up a lot, and I mean a lot, when I'm looking on Facebook. And it's the subject of the weight of a game. You may have heard the terminology that people say whether a game is light, medium, or heavy. And they quote examples of what they claim to be light, medium, or heavy. BoardGameGeek has a rating system on it which it classes as the weight, and a lot of the times it seems a bit skewity. <laughs> it doesn't seem quite accurate to the game it's portraying, and some people look at it as a little bit too gospel of a figure. Because the issue comes down to when people ask the question on Facebook groups, you know, will this game be suitable for me and my family? Will it be suitable for me and my friend who is new to games but has geeky interests? Is it going to be suitable for my spouse who's never played a game before? And I feel that a lot of people are kind of missing the mark on this definition because there isn't really a cold, hard definition of what is a light game, a medium game, and a heavy game. I mean, in fact, I even add a separate category called Super Heavy, which I'll get onto in a bit more detail later. But I feel that gamers are getting a bit biased on this. There are so many times when I see people claim that certain games are light games, and they blatantly are not. The theme may be light, in the sense that it's a nice light cutesy theme, but that does not make the game light. Secondly, some of these games that are being described as light may be light for us. They may be light for a gamer, but not everyone is a gamer, therefore you have to adjust this weight rating for people in general. And I, I always base my weight of a game on getting someone who isn't a die-hard veteran gamer to play it. 
So, you know, it, it may be that a heavy game is something that would only get a gamer to play. You know, nobody new should play a game that is heavy in my mind. But then a light game is a game that I could feasibly get someone who is new to games to understand. Maybe not on their first try. You know, gateway games can fit into that category as a kind of subgenre of light games. But I would argue that there are some light games that I still don't think are gateway games. Medium weight is kind of a spot in between, is a bit more subjective. And, you know, and filler and micro card games are kind of their own subgenre because most filler games can be, you know, gateway level or light anyway. And a micro game is rarely anything but light. I mean, love letter? Come on, <laughs> you can get your grandma to learn that. It's really not difficult. So, I mean, some of the examples that I've heard of one, one guy, there was a discussion on viticulture. And a, a couple of people were calling that one light. I'm sorry, but viticulture. And let's just assume, we're not even including Tuscany here, let's just include viticulture essentials, right? The one you can get now. We are talking about a worker placement game with a unique, you know, a choose your own starting, you know, turn order, uh, multiple visitor cards with text on them with various effects, uh, different ways to play, be it the structure cards or the, you know, the ability to make wine or just focus on grapes, you know, expensive wine, cheap wine, the fact that you go across four seasons, the fact you've got the, the revised map, which means you've now got the influence stars in one corner, you know, you've got the, the fact that you're not, you're aiming, you're racing to a particular victory point token. You've got the way that you make wine in the first place. It's not 100% intuitive. There's too much in this game to consider it light. Now, for a gamer, maybe light. You know, I, I can play Viticulture now. I love the game. Love, love, love it. And for me, the mechanics just gel. A lot of that is down to the theme. I love the theme. But the mechanics, for me, gel. But then I've played a lot of games. I'm more used to them by now. I would not, for example, teach my girlfriend how to play that game. Certainly not until she's had experience with more light games first. But then I don't think that Viticulture is so complex that it burns your brain every time you play it. So I would put Viticulture in medium. I would say it's a medium weight game. I can't call it light because I would never get a new gamer to play that game. It would just be too much for them. It would overwhelm them. But the amount of gamers who I see call it light just because that the t the typical norm of games they play is like 18xx and ridiculous stuff like that is kind of an, an indication that everyone is just kind of biased on this. So do I have a hard definition of what light, medium and weight heavyweight is? Not really, but I can however look at my shelf and quote a few examples. So first off, I mean I've technically got five categories. So let me go from start to finish how I rank a game. First up Gateway level. Gateway is the, the easiest games to play. These are the ones that I introduce to new gamers. You've never seen games before, then these are the light games that I can get you to play. You know, without too much teaching, without too much hassle, you shouldn't feel overwhelmed. Now, generally, this will involve a lot, maybe not all, but a lot of micro card games. They are very simple to play. I mean, Love Letter is dirt simple. You know, and a lot of it will also include some of those two-player light games. I mean, uh, you know, Jaipur, for example, is very straightforward. You know, even the non-card games, like say Patchwork. Patchwork, very simple to teach a new player. Hanamakoji, you know, very easy to teach for two players. 
you know, games like that are certainly going to be gateway level. But then other gateway, sorry, any gateway, gateway games, cool, I'm slurring my voice here, that I would consider to fit this category, uh, possibly Celestia. Celestia is a very simple push your luck game. You, you have a few cards, you're just rolling dice, matching symbols, and then you push your luck to see if you stay in the ship or not. Pretty straightforward. On top of that, you've got things like uh, Flashpoint Fire Rescue. You could argue it's slightly heavier than Gateway because of the advanced rules, but you could just play the basic family game rules, and it's as basic as all get out. It's a co-op, easy. And co-ops will feature a lot in this category as well. I mean, uh, Pandemic, Gateway level game. Uh, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert, classic gateway level games. So, gateway, and I'm trying to think of others actually, let me try and think of more examples. Uh, Carcassonne. Carcassonne, I taught my girlfriend how to play that one. She got it fine, she even beat me in it by four points, credit to her. Well, I did hold her hand a little bit, but not too much. And other ones are Sushi Go Party, Sushi Go in general, you know, that micro card game or the party version. Still easy enough to teach. Splendor, perfect example. You know, Splendor is definitely a gateway level game. It is definitely very light for gamers and that. But, you know, it's that ease of play that puts it in that category. And, of course, you could put most party games in this category as well. I mean, code names. I, I, well, I suppose you could argue that's not necessarily a party game, but I digress. You know, Dixit. You know, that works. Boulder Dash. You know, lots of these other classic games. So, that's where I put gateway level games. Light, but a new gamer could easily learn them the ones that I would pick to teach to those people. And certainly maybe I should do a top 10 list on this at some point. I can't remember when I did the last one though, so I don't want to repeat myself too soon. Okay, so moving on to light games. So what's the difference between light and gateway? Well, light and gateway is, the difference is that light games will are light for us, you know, we find them light. But I think that a new gamer might struggle a little bit with some of the concepts. They're not necessarily too complex, but you might be mixing more than one, you might be mixing several mechanics into the game that they won't have seen before. And so I don't tend to, even though they might be entry points into that particular genre, I don't think that the game is quite there on the whole lightness factor. So, what games do I put into this category? Well, certainly not Viticulture, oh, blimey. Nah, what I would put into this, Seven Wonders for a start. Some people think that Seven Wonders is a gateway game, and it was the first game I learned properly at a games club before I got into this whole blogging lark. But no way is that a gateway game. You've got all the iconography. You have the, uh, the, the concept of drafting, which most people that I knew won't have heard of before. You've taken all the different cards. You've got the way that science works. You've got the, the different cards in general, the combos, the powers. There's too much for a new player to really get into. And, I mean, I disclaimer now, some of you may have taught these games as gateway games and have had great success. Fair play to you. I'm not going to, like, stand, stand my ground and call this the hard definition of what games should be in here. These are just examples of how I, you know, how I expand the definition of gateway, light, medium, and heavy. So Seven Wonders is one. Another one is Takinoko. Takinoko I've been finding, I used to call it a gateway game. But every time I'm teaching it now, I seem to find that there's maybe a bit too much going on in that game to call it gateway level. A lot of the times the new gamers will be thrown off by certain aspects. They won't know exactly how to play well. 
Now you'll get used to the whole communal garden and the objectives, the way that the pandering app moves, the, the action selection. It's a little bit, a little bit above gateway level, which is why I would put this in light only. Uh, Sheriff of Nottingham. Sheriff of Nottingham is a fun game, but knowing what cards you need to bluff and tell the truth with, the point scoring, when's the best time to lie, negotiation games in general, I think that's a little bit above gateway level, but certainly, you know, Sheriff of Nottingham is quite light. Uh, looking on my shelf a bit more, nah, not Baron Park. Baron Park is actually something I would call gateway level, actually, to be honest. Um, possibly Mission Red Planet. It's not the heavy... Actually, no, that's... That's probably not quite light enough, actually. Citadels. Ah, Citadels is a good example. Yeah, roll selection and then build a building. Not too difficult. You don't have much you do on your turn. But the concept of drafting and roll selection is maybe a little bit too much for some gateway level people, in my opinion. You know, they've got to learn eight character abilities. They need to understand the best times to pick a character and when not to pick a character, how to evade the thief and the assassin, when's the best time to be the king, when's the best time to not be the king. And, you know, there's a lot going on in that game for a new gamer, I feel, to handle, especially if there's a lot of players. So that would be a light one, rather. Um, do do do. Uh, Catan, yeah, Catan's probably uh, one I would call light. I mean, I know a lot of people call it a gateway game, but you're talking about trading, you've got the building of the... I suppose you could argue that one as gateway. I don't know, I'm a little bit on the fence on that one. You know, base Catan with no expansions could potentially be gateway level, but again, some people might not necessarily be understanding what they're supposed to be trading for, what's the best way to trade, when am I making a good deal or a bad deal... So, yeah, you could argue that one both ways. Uh, let's see, there must be something else. Dice City. Yeah, Dice City, I would put that as light because there's a lot going on with those buildings. You've got multiple ways to play. You've got to roll all those dice and then look at all your abilities and allocate the dice. It's not too difficult for most gamers, but it's a step above what I would expect a gateway-level person to do. Any more? Flam Rouge. Yeah, Flam Rouge could work. I mean, that's... Not, I'm not sure I'd call it a gateway game, but it's certainly on the cusp of gateway, uh, certainly particularly light. Uh, Snow Tails. Snow Tails could be one, you know, you're having to... Actually, no, I could probably put that in a gateway category because it's very simple. You're basically putting down three cards, maximum three cards a turn, and you just race along the track. You may not necessarily know the best times you should break in that, but yeah, you tend to pick that up pretty quickly. Oh, perfect example, Dominion. A lot of people will put Dominion as a gateway game. Nope, 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 nope. Most people that I see being taught deck building games tend to freeze up a bit. They, even just simple concepts like the idea that you're meant to play for your deck and then shuffle up and draw a new hand and make combos. It's a lot for a new player to take in, I find. Maybe I'm underestimating the intelligence of some people, but you know, I feel it's safer to do that than overestimate it. Because somebody, I would rather the other player was thinking, that was a fun game, but I feel like I could do more. Can you show me something more harder? I'd rather they said that because it shows that they're interested and they want more than having somebody go, that was a bit much for me. I didn't quite enjoy that. Maybe this isn't for me. You know, doubting themselves. You don't want that doubt. You want them to be eager for more. Even if what you taught them was a baby game and they were totally overboard with it and totally just, you know, pounded you to a pulp and won the game easily. At least they're hungry for more. That's the way it should be. 
So yeah, that's kind of light games for me. A step above gateway, but not involving too much more complexity. So, medium games. This one's certainly a lot more subjective because trying to determine the line between light and heavy is usually a bit more of a tricky one, but medium games, I usually basically say, do they involve several mechanics? Do they involve a lot more than I would expect a new player to take in? But are they relatively comfortable for most gamers, you know, take no more than an hour or two and just generally, you know, aren't mostly brain burners. So looking on the shelf for that one, uh, well, I said Mission Red Planet. That's probably a good bet. You know, because it's got the elements of citadels, but then it's also got area control. It's got the different cards that you hide underneath. You've got a bit of tactical element. There's some take that in it. I would call that more medium than light, really. Yeah, it looks light. It looks cutesy, but, you know, there's a fair bit going on. I wouldn't teach this to new gamers, and there's a bit more going on it than meets the eye, really. Uh, let's see... Alien Frontiers, yeah, that would be a medium game. It's a dice allocation game, but there's quite a lot going on in it. So, certainly more than I would consider light. Let's see, uh, Yamatai, yeah, Lamatai. There's quite a fair amount of tactics in that game. Uh, there's a fair amount of mechanics. New gamers would not be able to understand exactly what's going on, and certainly some people who are only just above gateway games have sometimes struggled with it. You know, it, you know, five tribes could possibly fit in this category as well, although I would argue that that's slightly higher in the weight category. Uh, Pursuit of Happiness, you know, that's not a particular brain-burning game, but you've got the, the different cards, the iconography, you've got all the different ways you can play the game, the sandbox element. It's got a fair amount going on in it that I wouldn't put that as light, but it's certainly not too bad to be heavy. Imperial Settlers, Seasons... Uh, hmm, let's have a look. Sentinels and, uh, Sentinels and the Multiverse could be considered light, I guess. I mean, you've got a lot of text on cards, but the premise of the game is not too bad. But I suppose the bookkeeping and the admin is a little bit much for a light game. But yeah, I'd say it's a cross between the two. Let's have a look. Come on, there must be more, there must be more. Otis? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that was more medium because a lighter end of medium, but you've got a lot of... You've got to do all that planning with the divers and all the special abilities. There's a lot of tactics and timing required to do well in that game. So bear in mind, I'm not just talking about how easy it is to learn the game, but it's also how easy it is to play the game and do well in. That should consider its weight. Uh, any more, any more. Mm. Yeah, running out of choices really for the medium category. Uh, Abyss. Abyss is a... Uh, reasonably light but certainly I wouldn't put this anywhere near a new gamer and even people sort of newish to games can struggle a bit with the best way to play it so that could be medium. Suburbia, the base set alone is not particularly complex to work with but the economics of how to build your city when it's okay to be a little bit low on cash or when you should not overproduce too much you know there's elements of that. So yeah medium is very subjective and I would say medium is probably the the widest band for what games you can put in there, because you've got the upper and lower end of medium. You know, I think that some of these games just aren't light enough, but they certainly aren't anywhere near heavy, so medium is kind of my catch-all out of the five. Okay, just to quickly round up, the heavy category is the ones that take over two hours easily, they're brain burners, they've got lots of mechanics, they're very involved, there's a lot of strategy, or there's a lot of hard tactics. And already I turn around and I can see the Vital Lacerda games, Lisboa, Gallerist, Vinyos, Kanban, 
All of them are heavy. There's a lot going on in those. Caverner, I would still call that heavy. You know, the, the rules for a gamer might not be too much, but there's a lot of rules in the game. There's a sandbox feel, and then there's just a lot going on for most players. Uh, Fields of Arl, uh, Feast of Odin, uh, Anachrony. Uh, do, 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 do. Let's have a look. No, Pulsar 2849, I would class as medium. I would, I'd put that in the medium category again. There must be some more. I know I don't have a huge amount of heavy games in my collection, but mostly because other people I know own them. Scythe? Yeah, I'd say Scythe is heavy. Maybe the lower end of heavy, but it's certainly a bit much for most gamers to suddenly grasp. And it's one of those games where somebody might understand the rules, but you will demolish them in the game if they don't know what they're doing. Uh, let's have a look. Move the chair out of the way. Uh, Keyflower and Keeper. Nah, I'd say they were more medium weight games as well. There's not too many. Nations. Yeah, Nations would certainly be a heavy game. Through the Ages. I don't own it, but yeah, Through the Ages would be a heavy game easily. Uh, trying to think of others. Certainly those um those kind of games that I don't tend to go for, but the 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 sort of non-thematic drier ones like a. Uh, Nippon, Madeira, Mombasa, Great Western Trail, Terraforming Mars, you know, they're definitely heavy games. So, yeah, there's a lot going on in them. Whether you enjoy them or not, there's plenty of moving parts. Sometimes they don't need those moving parts, but I digress. You know, so heavy is definitely the one where it's like your brain's going to burn a bit. You're going to be playing this for a good two to three hours at least. And certainly, I would not even put this within eyesight of any new player or even somebody who is relatively new to gaming at all. This is for gamers, the end of. And then finally, just to quickly wrap up, Super Heavy. This is a small category that I essentially made up myself where I put the games that are not only heavy, but very long and punishingly heavy. And when I say punishingly heavy, I mean that with most heavy games, you might make early mistakes, but you can possibly catch up. Or in those heavy games, you still feel like you're doing all right, despite the fact you might not be playing 100% efficient. Super heavy games, on the other hand, are the ones where I believe that if you make a mistake in the early part of the game, you are done. You have no way of recovery, and you know this. These are the types of games that generally I do hate, though, because they do this thing called pseudo-knockout, which is, you're not knocked out of the game, but you might as well have been. Because you have zero chance to pull it back and you will lose the game. But you're going to be stuck there for several hours before you realise that, oh my god, I lost ages ago. So, these ones I would put, obviously, 18xx games, because these go on for many hours and days. And, you know, if you start off badly, you will not recover. Uh, certainly anything by Splatter Games, you know, the Duck Duck, no, not Duck Duck Go. Um, Duck Dealer and Food Chain Magnate, Antiquities, and Barbie and all that lot. You know, a lot of the games I hate, but, you know, so, you know, it's not because I find them, like, too heavy or anything, but I don't like the idea that if you make a bad move, you're stuck there for another three hours playing the game. And, to be fair, most of them look dry and horrible aesthetically, their themes are a bit questionable, so, you know, most of those games I just don't like anyway, you know, I digress. But certainly, it's a whole different category of heavy for certain games like that. You know, they're going to go on for like half a day, half the time, some of these games. And it just gets a little bit ridiculous. So that's kind of a mini category that I put some heavier games in. And that's essentially how I tend to rank them. 
I still think that as gamers we are biased and we should really kind of downplay our ranking of the weight of games. I think we should be more considerate to new players and certainly gateway gamers, you know. We want to introduce new people into the hobby. We don't want to scare them off by showing them all these games that are so overwhelming. I have to be really careful with my girlfriend because she can only play so many games at the moment. I mean, I've taught her Sushi Go, Carcassonne, uh, Hanamakoji, Jaipur, Baron Park. You know, I've taught her light games to begin with. The most heaviest game she's played is Dice Hospital. And A, that was a prototype, and B, that required a fair bit of hand-holding from the designer. So it was a maybe not the best idea for, you know, it's not the typical level of game that she's going to play just yet. She's warming up to it, but I'm taking my time. I'd rather not overwhelm her too much. Get her used to the gateway games first. So... That's kind of just my thoughts on it. I mean, feel free to get in touch, you know, mention it on Facebook and Twitter, get in touch on the YouTube channel or something. I'm just curious what you guys think. You know, what do you believe uh, is a light, medium, heavy game? Do you have your own way of ranking it? Do you not really care? Do you make up your own mind? Do you have more than just the three categories like I do? You know, I'm interested to hear what you think as well. Cool. Well, that wraps it up for another podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. You know, a couple of new bits of music here and there. You know, I want to try and do these podcasts more often, as I said. When did I do the last one? Kind of uh, mid, sort of mid-March, early mid-March. So, you know, I'm already ahead of schedule compared to normal in order to get this episode out this week. And hopefully I will do them more often in general. Granted, it means that they're going to be shorter because I don't want to spend hours and hours and hours every month doing the podcast. But certainly if I do them more frequently and just keep them to a more respectable length, that should be enough. So that's it for me. I'm going to wrap up episode 25 now. Hope you liked it. Stay tuned for episode 26 in the near future. And, you know, just enjoy playing games. Whatever you rank games, whether it's light, medium or heavy, doesn't matter at the end of the day. Because hopefully you still remember that it's only a game. Take care, everyone. See you next time. Thank you for taking the time out of your busy life to listen to this podcast presentation. If you like what you hear, then please check out my other material on my various other platforms. Firstly, the blog, brokenmeeple.blogspot.co.uk, where you can find all my written reviews and links to my other material. You can find me on my Facebook page. You can also find me on Twitter, at The Broken Meeple, where you can ask me questions, get in touch, and just generally have a good conversation. You can also check out my YouTube channel where I'm posting anything from a review to a top 10 list to board game app playthroughs and hopefully much more in the future. And speaking of the future, if you want to support the Broken Meeple, then please subscribe to the Patreon campaign where you can assist in helping me keep this blog up and running and try out new ideas in the future. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and I hope you enjoy listening to my other material. For now, take care and enjoy playing games. For me and everyone else on the Dice Tower Network, have fun gaming. Remember folks, Dice Tower Network cares.